0: Welcome back everyone to the Champion Forum Podcast. I am your host and your number one fan, Jeff Hancher. Today is a special episode. It is our Veterans Day episode and as many of you know that have been listening to the show, I am a veteran of the United States Army. If you've been listening to the show any length of time, you also know that uh, I have veterans on quite a bit. Why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of the most important is that I believe there's a lot that we can learn from veteran leaders, leaders that have experienced uh, tremendous adversity, leaders that have experienced changes in teams, environments, and everything in between. And not to mention, I always love promoting hiring veterans. So in today's show, I have a special guest. We're going to talk through all things leadership, and I, I am excited to have this next guest on. So stay tuned as we dive in to this Veterans Day special this is the champion forum podcast with jeff hancher the forum for leaders champions and dreamers Mike Herzendorf is currently the VP of Member Services for Helicopter Association International. He is responsible for all aspects of revenue generations, membership, member services, and operations. Mike was the former CEO of Nuar. He was responsible for the integration, synchronization, and execution of all activities and policy development for UAS operations aimed at developing a national UAS traffic management system within New York State's 50-mile UAS corridor. Mike led the organization's strategy development process and execution of supporting fiscal, business development, outreach, and communication plans, enabling a targeted approach for growth and revenue generation. Prior to working at Nuar, Mike spent 29 years in the U.S. Army as a special operations aviator. He has over 20 years of command and leadership experience. His last role in the Army was as the chief of staff of the 82nd Airborne Division. Mike holds a master's degree in national security and strategy from the U.S. Army War College, a master's degree in public administration from Murray State University, a bachelor's degree in business administration from Ithaca College. Mike is a commercial instrument rotocraft and private single-engine land pilot. Mike volunteers on the Military Advisory Committee for Tuesday's Children. Boy, if that was not enough of an introduction to get you excited about our guest, I don't know what will be. Mike, welcome to the Champion Forum Podcast.
1: Jeff, thank you. Really, I'm humbled and honored to be here and uh, especially to be able to talk on Veterans Day. What a a great day for America.
0: No doubt about it. We have a lot to be thankful for. And uh, men like you and women that support our freedom, uh, we can't ever give back enough. So I appreciate you taking time. Your resume clearly speaks for itself. And uh, 29 years as a soldier, I'm sure has uh, brought about a lot of challenges, a lot of uh, successes, uh, a lot of leadership opportunity, personalities you have to deal with, uh, upper command uh, restraints, so on and so forth. And so when I saw your resume and we were introduced, there was no doubt that I had to have you on the show. You know, with that level of experience and what you've brought to the table and bring to the table, uh, there's no doubt that uh, you'll be able to make some deposits into our listeners. So let's dive right into uh, some of these questions and get some feedback, not only uh, from your time in service, but also your time in business. You've had some tremendous experience uh, since transitioning out. But clearly, uh, your time in the service, there's no doubt we can learn a lot from that as well. So maybe let's rewind this thing, uh, maybe to that listener that's just starting out, you know, that listener that aspires to lead at levels that you've led. Tell me maybe about an influential leader in college or early in your tenure in the military or your career that had an impact. And what could these young potential aspiring leaders learn from that experience that you've had?
1: Yeah, no. Thanks, Jeff. And, you know, the Army's business is leadership. The Army, you know, is is the number one team sport, and it's really all about leadership. And uh, they they train it, they teach it at every level. And so uh, right after flight School, uh, I went to Korea. And yeah, this was in 1990. Uh, it was a great, tough environment to fly. Um, and the thing about being a second lieutenant in the Army is virtually everyone else has more experience than you do, yet by the rank structure, you know, you're in charge. Uh, And boy, I tell you, I wish I knew then what I know now, because, you know, the lessons now of just listening, caring for people and learning is really the first basis of being a leader. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget, uh, he was a warrant officer. His his name was CW3 Mike Gann. He'd been in the army about 20 years. Uh, He was in the infantrymen. He was ranger qualified. And you know, when I when I got to Korea, I had six aircraft and about eighteen pilots, uh, and it was quite a management and leadership challenge. Everyone had you know uh, their own sort of isms, and, and Korea was a one year hardship tour, uh, and, and it was pretty hard back then. You know, obviously not as hard as you know the later years of combat. But Mike Dan taught me everything about aviation training, operations, management. But really, what he taught me was he taught me about leadership. Yeah, um, and and so that's really where I I first really, really learned that the number one job of leaders is to develop future leaders. And you have to train people to replace you. Uh, Obviously, it's very important in the Army, especially in combat, but it's just as relevant in
0: business. No doubt. No doubt. So if there is that young aspiring leader on and that one that wants to make big impact in their career, or maybe there's a a young soldier listening in, you know, I often tell uh, people that are early in their leadership tenure, or they aspire to lead, to always attach yourself to people that have been where you want to go. What would you say to that as far as that young person that might be listening in and the value that you got from that, from that warrant officer? Yeah, absolutely. You know, mentorship is incredibly important.
1: And I think when people think of mentorship, they, they forget that there has to be a personal relationship there. And that personal relationship really starts with caring about that person. You know, and uh, great leader, John Maxwell says, that people don't know, People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Sure. And, and there is nothing more true than that statement. And so when, as a young leader, you know, when you show people uh, that you're willing to learn, you're willing to listen, uh, and that you truly care about them as individuals, you know, then I think that's really the essence of of the first steps of leadership. It's, it's learning and listening and caring.
0: Yeah. Got to make deposits, you know. I always tell leaders uh, when they're telling me about uh, every the mission, everything that needs to be done. And clearly, as leaders, we're always going to need to make withdrawals from our team. That's kind of the essence of leadership is to accomplish the mission, to get the KPIs done, get the SOP executed, whatever it might be. But listen, I think it's so important, as you stated, Mike, is that if you're going to make big withdrawals, you got to make big deposits. And uh, it, it's a two-way street. You can't just always be taking from you've gotta be making deposits into uh, these people as well. So, I mean, look, you had 29, 29 years of military service. Obviously, uh, you probably transitioned in and out of different leadership roles throughout that 29 years. You know, we could probably go an hour on this question, but what what would you say is your advice to the leader that's listening as far as the essence of what effective leadership is? What, In your mind, based off of all the great leaders that you've been around, you, yourself as a leader, how, how do you define effective leadership and any examples or stories of that from your time in service?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, if you really want to define what effective leaders do, you know, they have an ability uh, to take unstructured, complex, chaotic problems, boil them down to the simplest, most executable parts, uh, create that shared understanding or shared consciousness so the team can see the problem the same way you know, that orients everyone. And then, and then you have to motivate them. And you have to lead them. And I think that is the essence of leadership at all levels. Uh, you know, you have to be able to see into, you know, the depths of a problem and, and not get caught up in all of the, you know, red herrings or things that really aren't important. But you have to make it simple enough that everyone can understand it. Everyone can orient on it. And then you have to lead them and you have to motivate them and you have to show that you care. Um, You know, I I was very, very fortunate uh, to be able to spend a majority of my career in special operations. And, you know, the the hallmark of special operations is, you know, habitual relationships um, with great motivated people that are well trained and all there selflessly to sacrifice on behalf of the nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I I was I, I was very, very fortunate just to be part of that team. Uh, and, and in leadership positions, there you know there are a couple times where we, we came upon some of those really tough problems. And, and one in particular, you know, happened on a very quick timeline. We were alerted uh, that you know there was a, a hostage, and we were given the, the go ahead to go rescue. Hmm. And uh, there is nothing more challenging than, than a hostage rescue situation. And so uh, the team had been formed, but you're on an incredibly quick timeline. And we were uh, from wheels up or from notification to wheels up within 24 hours. Uh, we were on the ground at about 36. Uh, we had formulated the plan uh, by about 48. We did a very quick rehearsal. We launched to 72 and we were back at 96. Hmm. And, and that is with uh, an armada of, of helicopters. And, and you know, the whole reason that uh, the Army has Special Operations Aviation is to support our nation's elite ground force. You know, they, they were and always will be the customer. And so, we, you know, I think that's another great point to bring out that you always have to put things in perspective of your customer. What do they, what do they need? Because mm-hmm. it's never about you, it's about your place on the team and what you could do for others. That's and good. so in this, in this situation, you know, as it's continually evolving, we're trying to figure out the best, the best mix of forces and the best techniques to go accomplish the mission. And uh, it was very easy to, to start going down the road of trying to use all of the assets you had, because the more assets, you know, the more contingencies you could cover. However, you know, the, the, uh, the opposite of that is the more assets, the more complex. And at the end of the day, you're really trying to balance risk. Yeah. You know, and, and this was risk to the mission. Um, but, but this was of national importance and, mm-hmm. you know, failure there, would discredit the nation. And that was something that we were just not about to do. Yeah, you, know, you do not embarrass the nation, this is a must succeed. And so that's one of those situations where the mission really does come first, but it's all about the people that are putting it together and to find that balance.
0: Man, that's so
1: good. The, the challenge uh, that I really remember at that point was how to, how to really get in my mind the best mix of assets, the balanced simplicity yet capability with the least amount of risk and the highest probability to ensure success. Hmm. So what did I do? You know, I I pulled in my smart people that I'd been with for years, that I'd built up that relationship with, that we had trust, that we had open communication. People were not scared uh, to give the unvarnished truth. If I was to say something, they would challenge my assumptions. They would ask the hard questions of me. I would ask them of them. And we collectively and collaboratively, you know, decided on, on the best mix of assets and the way to go forward now unfortunately uh that left some of the assets out and probably the hardest thing i had to do that night uh w- was tell some of those pilots that we're not going to put you in on this one and explain to them why you know and that, and that was that was pretty heartbreaking to me because you know you train for years and years and years and sometimes you know these situations only come along once in a career now right i, I would tell you since that time many many have come along but uh Prior to this event, there had really not been one in about twenty years, and so it was uh, it, it was very special yeah. um, and so what did I take away from that? I took away collaboration
0: that 's good you know and, and when we put that into terms, if you look at the a lot of the problems today in leadership or in business in general there 's chaos there 's dynamic situations they can get very complex. And sometimes you're put and thrust into environments that are unknown. I think of this pandemic, like we're all remote, Uh, you're onboarding remote employees, you know, you have all of these different things happening that we've never done before. I think it's important that we we know as leaders that you don't need to have all the answers, but you need to be able to find them. Um, And that's exactly what you had. I mean, you had a short window of time. And what you relied on in that moment was training and relationships. And I think that's a testament and something to be said to the leaders that are listening is never devalue the deposits, never devalue the relationships. I often tell people that, um, it's, I call it the fog of war. You know, you see these old civil war pictures and it's just like, there's gunpowder everywhere. It's like, you don't know who's fighting who. Uh, but at some point that smoke has to clear, you have to rely on relationships, instinct and some training. So don't wait for the battle. Um, Leader, we got to get in there now. We got to build those relationships now. We got to build that trust because when the shrapnel flies or there's that fog of war, that's when you're going to need to count on that most. Phenomenal. Uh, Very good. So when you think of leaders that you admire, Mike, uh, you mentioned the warrant officer. I'm sure that there were many that you had uh, during your military career. What qualities did you see in them that you said, man, I need to reproduce this. Uh, these are the deposits they, they made in me and how would you uh, respond to the leaders listening as far as what you learned from some great leaders in your life? Yeah, Jeff,
1: great, great question. You know, and I was absolutely fortunate uh, to be able to, to, uh, you know, work for some of the finest uh, leaders that our nation has ever produced and, and no matter how busy they were, no matter how chaotic the time was, and these were, you know, much, much, much time spent in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, and and other places, you know, they always made time, even for a few minutes, to connect personally. And what that really showed me was their true humility, you know, and their modest view of of one's own importance. And so I think, you know, humility is by far the number one leadership characteristic um, people have and it's sort of funny because you can't say well i'm a humble person
0: yeah who's not sort of
1: saying that sort of shows well maybe you're not um it it has to be sincerely practiced and and you have to do that by showing other people that you're willing to take risks for them you know ahead of risks for yourself and in the army you know that, that that is the greatest risk of combat and you know some of these big missions really showed me that i um was doing all the right things, but you know, the army's a meritocracy and you're always trying to progress and get promoted, and move to the next level. And you really have to let that go. And you really have to not care about yourself and care about others and, and, and it's just humility. Now, you know, that humility has to sort of be bounded by confidence. Um, and, and then the other thing that I learned from these humble leaders is just their kindness. and You know, that has to be balanced by toughness. So I think there's a, there's a balance there, humility and confidence, kindness and toughness. and you know, uh, the toughness is the hard part, but that's really where you show love because, you know, uh, I loved all my soldiers. But sometimes you had to be tough on them. And why yeah. were you tough on them? Because, you know, that tough love was going to be able to keep them alive on the battlefield. It was going to have them get promoted in their careers. It was going to have them survive. It was going to have them grow up and, and pay that forward, as you've talked about. And so, yeah. you know, as I, as I really think about, you know, the great leaders, they, they had that humility and kindness. Um, and, you and know, that's, that's really what inspired me.
0: I want to touch on that because uh, I talk a lot about the, the aggressive leader, the one that carries a big stick and makes people you know bleed uh, to get things done. Here we are talking to a 29-year special operations leader who said, I hope you heard this, everyone, who said kindness. Now, probably in your mind when you think special operations and whatever that picture is that you have in your mind – Most likely the word kindness doesn't come to your mind, right? But here is somebody that has lived it out and has said kindness and humility woven in with challenging leadership. And I think that is so profound, Mike, because so many times, and and this is more to that aggressive leader that's listening that thinks the only way to get get things done is to beat people into compliance. It's not, you know, it's not about who's right. It's about what's right. And so many times I think we miss that. So I really value you sharing that. And look, 29 years, and that's where you chose to go. I think every leader listening can take a page from that book and say, look, I need to be intentional. And maybe if you're, you're a hard charger, you need to practice some humility and kindness. Maybe if you're too kind and you're soft, maybe you need to be a little bit more challenging. But you have to find the balance in both. So, Mike, tell me um, tell me about a time, maybe when you feel your leadership was tested the most, and how maybe you met that test. Because I got to tell you, with my clients today, uh, you know, with podcasts, I have leadership development groups, so on and so forth. It seems like the majority of my conversation is really helping people out of challenge, out of adversity, especially through the pandemic, uh, economic downturns, layoffs, all of this stuff. Tell us about a time, maybe that your leadership was tested and how you met that test, and how people can apply.
1: Yeah, no, so I'm going to switch to business here for a second. Sure. Um, Because, you know, I'll I'll tell you, so I've I've been out of the Army for uh, a few years now, a little over two, and I've, I've had two roles in business. And I will tell you that the leadership challenges in business, especially during the pandemic, are every bit as hard as the leadership challenges in the military. Now, the stakes are a little different, right? We're not talking life or death. Sure. However, uh, you know, we are talking profit and loss. And, uh, you know, as, as businesses now, we'll, we'll really uh, have to pivot and change based on the pandemic. And so um, when, I, when I was on my, uh, my first, first assignment out of the Army, as I call it, um, I, I was fortunate enough to find my way uh, into being a CEO of a, of a small sort of entrepreneurial tech startup company. Uh, working in the UAS space. And this was trying to commercialize small UAS. And that is a very, very technical area. And, you know, I've I've been in some technical fields. Aviation is inherently a technical field, uh, but this took it to a whole new level. And so uh, as I walked into this organization uh, and became the CEO, everyone in the company had more experience than I did. It was almost back to like I was being a second Lieutenant again. but what was really challenging about that is it really did come down to me uh, as a CEO uh, informing that team and getting everyone's input as to how we were going to develop a strategy that was going to lead to revenue generation and profitability of the business. And so, you know, while it was not life and death, uh, it, it was pretty important because uh, the livelihood of all of these individuals were, were relying on me. Uh, mm-hmm. But, right. You know, it, it came down to many of those same lessons you had to learn. You had to listen. You had to challenge their assumptions. You had to really be able to communicate and then you had to make some tough calls. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, we often, I think people think of the military as is the epitome of where leadership is made. And, and while I will agree with that, I have to also be, um, you know, very altruistic business, is challenging as well. Sure. Um, and I think what structures the military is they focus on leadership, but I, I've not seen that same kind of leader development and focus on people uh, as much in, in the corporate world. And so I think that's really, you know, the takeaway is, is I'm uh, in these organizations now, you know, while we're doing all those strategy and leadership and pivoting things with the pandemic, you know, I'm also a big advocate of leader development, teach, coach, mentor, and counsel.
0: Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, I heard it once said, you, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. And uh, that constant development, and you've talked about it more than once in our brief conversation here, I think it's absolutely a hallmark of great leadership and a hallmark of succession planning, no question about it. So we've talked a little bit about what makes a great leader. Um, what attributes do you see in poor leaders? You've probably experienced a few of those along the way as well. And what are those pitfalls? So that leader that's out there running their race right now, and they don't see this pitfall coming, what is those pitfalls that you've seen? And what attributes have you seen bubble up in poor leadership? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, first, um, I think one of the other most important aspects is self-awareness. So, you know, uh, you have to learn that and you have to really be true to yourself. And so, you know, uh, I will tell you, there's been times that I've been a poor leader, um, but you got to learn from those, you know, and, and, you know, at least with me, I was too quick to judge, you know, and, and you felt a little too much pressure and you were too quick to judge and, or, or maybe you just didn't give someone the benefit of the doubt based on a past experience. And so as I looked at myself, you know, one, you always have to ask yourself, how do I need to improve as a leader? And you have to, you have to have that self-awareness and you have to have the motivation uh, to really change yourself and not kid yourself. I think as I, as I looked at others, um, you know, and I really have not come across many poor leaders, but, but there's, there's some people who I, I think, you know, were, were maybe, you know, more selfish than they should have been. And, and that is really uh, a bad way to, to have a positive culture. You know, Jeff, we haven't talked about culture yet, but, you know, culture is everything. Yes, Uh, people do not buy into people they buy, you know, they they don't buy into the organization, they buy into the people, as you said. And so absolutely, you know, selfish people cannot create a good culture. Without a good culture, you're not going to have a thriving team business army unit, you won't have
0: anything. Yeah, you know, I I always say that uh, never get into leadership for the money and the accolades. uh, Because inevitably, you will get it wrong, get into leadership because you want to make a difference. Because you want to make deposits, because you want to make big impact. And oh, by the way, uh, when you do that well, you get paid well. Uh, You get paid in proportion to the problems you can solve and the people you can develop. And uh, that's a high calling. And if you're getting into it for the money or the accolades or the corner office, you know, typically it's those leaders that are going to, you may have, I I talk about the difference between earned authority and appointed authority. And appointed is uh, my dad was the king, so now I'm the king. But earned authority happens out of respect, you know, and that's where you find that great balance between, um, you know, compliance when you're around and then people working for you when you're not because they don't want to let you down. Selfishness just won't get that done. It just simply will not get that done. So. You know, I want, to, uh, I want to pivot here a little bit and talk a little bit about a different, a different spin because, and maybe this uh, will come, you know, into your military experience, but this has been a theme that I've talked to specifically one of my clients, and I hope that uh, they're listening uh, to hear how you respond to this. But I find that there's a big difference between being in charge and being in control. What would you say is the difference of being in charge and being in control?
1: Yeah, I mean, being in charge could just be a title. It could just be, you know, a position. But that doesn't mean you have the ability to inspire, uh, you know, those around you. Uh, And it all comes down to inspiration. So, you know, when you're in control, um, that's how you then have the ability to inspire people. And, And it's not about dictating what they do. It's about setting the conditions for them to succeed. You know, it's to break down the roadblocks for their success. And so, you know, being in charge really isn't important. It's about being in control. And that control is your ability to make your subordinates successful. You know, be that servant leader towards them. You know, listen, help with the problems that at your level you can solve and and pave the way for them to be successful.
0: No doubt. You know, uh, I use military references a lot in my coaching and in my development of leaders. And, you know, I would always say to uh, leaders that nobody ever got inspired by a leader that was always rattled. And you know you can't imagine going into a mission like the one that you, you presented earlier in our conversation. Whoever was in charge of that mission, maybe it was you, Mike. Um, oh, my gosh, guys, I don't know what we're going to do. We just got these crazy orders. I mean, how are we ever going to pull this off? No, nobody's inspired by that, even if you don't have all the answers. There has to be, uh, and you, you referenced it, that ability to be humble and confident. You don't have to have all the answers, but you had better maintain composure uh, because no leader, no great leader ever had the asterisks got rattled easily. Like that is just not something a great leader does.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and, and that I, I mentioned earlier is, is really one of the hallmarks of special operations. It's it's the training. It's a habitual relationship and, and uh you know, there's a sacred bond and that's built throughout special operations. And that's if you call, I will come. In, in, the, in the unit I was with, you know, the aviation unit, if we put that customer, you know, that nation's elite special operator on the ground and he called, we would come, no questions asked. Um, and, and many times that happened, um, but it's that composure and it's the people around you that you know, hey, no matter how tough this gets, I've got the man and woman to my left and right, and they are not going to leave me hanging.
0: Man, if we can get some of that in business, how could you lose, right? You just know it's going to happen. That's great leadership. Like, you know somebody is going to execute, and you have that trust and that confidence it's going to happen. This is a great time, leader, to take inventory as you're listening to this. Is that the kind of leadership culture that you have? That people know, one, you have their best interest at heart, and two, you're not going to let them down. You create that kind of culture. I don't care what your widget is, what your service is. It, It doesn't matter. You get that kind of leadership culture, and there won't be hell or high water that will hold you back from the mission. And we need to foster that. We need to adopt that. And oh, by the way, that doesn't come easy. That comes from effort, and that comes from sometimes years of discipline and making deposits along the way to create that. Leadership brand. So, uh, Mike, as we wrap up, I got one more question and then uh, a couple things to throw at you. If if you had to roll back the video of your your experience in leadership up to this point, and you were able to start over again, what do you wish you had known about leadership before you became a leader the first time?
1: Yeah, great, great. You know, and I, I've thought a lot about this, Jeff. Um, As I said, you know, leaders have to inspire other people to greatness. Well, what is, what does it take to inspire someone? And and I think it takes trust. And I think inherently we know what trust is, but, but I like to define it and you can use, uh, there's many ways and adjectives, but if I was to define trust, um, it's motivation, reliability, competence, and integrity. Uh, You know, it's the ability to get done what you say you're going to do repeatedly the right way for the right reasons, competence, reliability, motivation, integrity. That's good. That that building of trust is how you inspire people. That inspiration is what goes to that culture. And that is that unbeatable combination.
0: Man, that is so good. You know, so, so many times and we've been around leaders like this where it was high sizzle and no steak. People see right through that, that competence piece Not only when you have high competence, in my opinion, Mike, does it give you credibility, but then you become a leader that you see it as your duty and obligation to take action. Why? Because you have answers to big problems. You know, I always use the example of if there was somebody laying lifeless on the ground and you knew CPR, you have competence. You don't think about it. You don't wait. You don't hope somebody else is going to do it. You take action you see it as a duty and obligation because you have competence to do something that somebody else needs. That is a tremendous point. As leaders, we've got to foster that, right?
1: Absolutely. And that competence gives you that grassroots base understanding. So you inherently, very quickly, can assess risk, can assess capabilities, you can see second and third order effects. And that's as we talked about earlier, you know, with those complex chaotic problems, uh, they're very, you know, ambiguous. You have to boil them down to the simplest elements and, and having that base level of competence allows you to inherently understand, you know, the challenges and the risks and be able to then move as many people have said at the speed of trust or, you know, in the case of the army, you moved at the speed of war.
0: Right on, right on. Well, listen, 29 years in the U S army as a special operations aviator on behalf of the entire champion forum nation, thank you for your service. This is obviously uh, a veterans day tribute. So I would be remiss for us not to recognize every man and woman that has served. And Mike, I want to give you uh, an opportunity. If there might be people listening from, from your own tribe, from your community, is there somebody that you would like to honor or recognize that you have served with that means something to you? Well, you
1: know, first, uh, I've got some people who love me very much and they know who they are and I would like to, uh, to thank them. And and one of them is here with me. (laughs) Um, did did you hear that?
0: (laughs) She'll hear it on the playback. I hope she
1: heard that. I've I've got some people who love me very much and they mean the world to me. And I love, I love her and I love them. And, And I'd be remiss if I did not, uh, to thank at least one very special person for all of her love.
0: Man, it takes, uh, it, it, it literally takes a village sometimes, right? But,
1: but also, as, as we approach Veterans Day, you know, all those have served. Uh, I would also like to, to thank you, Jeff, for having me on. But, you know, we have to thank those that are still serving. I think people forget that, you know, tonight, last night, and tomorrow night, there are still men and women strapping it on, getting ready to go downrange and do harm That's to right. our nation's enemies. And they have been since 9-11, Mm-hmm. And, and I want you to think about that. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to serve and I spent, you know, part of part of many, many years in combat. Well, you know what? From really the first mission, which was on October 16th, 2001, through last night, you know, November 3rd, 2020, there have been men and women and largely special operators getting after it night mm-hmm. after night after night after night hundreds of thousands of missions, mm-hmm. of objectives, of targets. And, and it's come at a cost of lives. And, and so is, is, you know, Veterans Day, why we remember those who serve? You know, I, I think we always have to remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. And we still have to remember all those that are paying those families. That's that, right. that really means a lot to me.
0: Man, it means a lot to me too. And um, it means a lot to me what you did. And uh, I'm looking forward to continuing to forge a relationship to support that community. Um, and I will say this, you know, in, in, uh, in a tribute to veterans, specifically transitioning veterans, which is uh, something you did not that long ago, I want you to just take one minute, uh, one moment, take, take as much time as you need, Mike, but talk to that hiring manager out there. Talk to that hiring manager that uh, might be missing the boat on hiring a veteran maybe the one that kind of discarded that resume because they didn't think that uh maybe what they did in the military is going to translate because they didn't have technical knowledge or industry knowledge what do you say to that hiring manager that they're missing out on the best kept secret in employment
1: yeah and and i would tell you jeff transition was hard Uh, you know i I had set myself up into a sector that i thought i wanted to work in Uh, and i i did uh, at one point about 25 informational interviews I applied to 10 jobs and I never even got an interview. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I had hiring managers tell me, hey, hey, listen, Mike, one, you're overqualified, which I, I think is an utterly ridiculous thing to tell someone. You know, they, they viewed what I did and thought that, well, you need to start at this level. No, I'm willing to start at a lower level to learn and to understand the grassroots of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they said, well, you, you don't have experience in this. Okay, you're right, but I can learn this and look at what I bring you in the soft skills. And and I saw time after time after time that that hiring manager was looking for the exact exact round peg to put in the round hole. Someone that had already done the job so they could do the job. We're in the military, you know, you get your next job based on your ability to learn and adapt and you change jobs frequently. And so, uh, you know, to that hiring manager, Veterans will bring you so much. First, they're going to learn whatever they need to learn. Right. But they can make the hard calls. They're driven. They're team players. They're low risk. They're adaptive. Yeah. And those are the things that, that I think are, are most important.
0: No doubt. Hiring managers, come on. Cut the red tape. Cut, the, uh, cut your hiring policies. Take some risks. You know, so many times, and I get it. It's like sometimes we're going to get to hiring wrong. uh, We're not going to take the chances. But to Mike's point, hire the who, train the what. What you really need is people that can help you win. Uh, You can teach different skills, but I can promise you this. You get a guy like Mike on your team, you're not going to lose. I can't think of, you know, short of some crazy technical type skills that would take years to learn. You're not going to lose with Mike on your team. There's just no way that happens. And so take the chance on some of these veterans hiring managers. Not only is it the right thing to do, but it's good for business. Um, you know, I'm not saying, you know, and we're looking at, you know, veterans are looking for handouts here. It's good business. You get Mike on your team. I, I, I like the odds of winning. And there's many more like Mike that can support your cause. Mike, final words.
1: Yeah. You know, Jeff, I, I just did my part. That's all I did. I did nothing more. I did what was asked of me, and uh, I am no one special. I am just honored and humbled to be able to serve, and uh, I absolutely agree. Hire a veteran, you will win.
0: No doubt. Is there any, uh, any causes important to you? Anything uh, that you work with? Uh, anything that you would like to promote to uh, tell uh, the listener more about?
1: I, I do uh, a little bit of work with an organization called Tuesday's Children, and Tuesday's Children was formed after Tuesday 9-11, uh, to take care of the uh, sons and daughters whose parents were lost on 9-11. And, I, and I'm from New York. Uh, obviously, 9-11 meant a, a great deal to me, and I was fortunate enough uh, to be able to be a part of the, the initial missions into Afghanistan. So that, that holds a great place. So t- Tuesday's children. And then uh, there, there's a number of special operations transition organizations. Um, SODIF, Special Operators Transition Foundation, uh, doing you know used to be your grateful nation. And then, uh, you know, Mike Sorellian Mike and Jocko Wilmick and their organization, mm-hmm. uh, EF Overwatch, being great team, teammates, team players, and partners. And so I, I really appreciate every, everything those two great Americans have done.
0: No doubt about it. Tuesday's children, go check them out, Champion Nation, and um, give them a look, man. What a great organization. Mike, thank you uh, for your service after service. And thank you for your 29 years. And uh, on behalf of myself, and the entire Champion Forum team. I want to thank you, Mike. I want to thank everybody that has ever put on the uniform. I want to thank those that are still wearing the uniform. Freedom uh, comes at a price. And so for everyone that's ever put on the uniform, we thank you. We wish you all the best. And never forget it. You all have been set up to be champions in this life. The Champion Forum Podcast with Jeff Hancher. Lead. Inspire win